Once again, thank you for being here. Um, if you didn't get a chance to turn that card in uh, from earlier, I would love for you to take that and pass it to the end of the row. The, uh, the ushers will come by and grab those, or the offering box, like I said, is back here in the back, and you can just drop those in there. That'd be great. Um, you know, that song, that Death in His Grave song, it, it's, uh, it's a bit of a dark song. It's a bit of a heavy song, and at the same time, it's so true that that Jesus Christ took death and laid it in his grave. I've heard it so many times uh, over the last, last few weeks and few months. Uh, if you looked at my, my iTunes, and it has a little plays number on it. It's over 100 times. I was laughing about it the other day, thinking, wow, I can't believe I've listened to it that much. But in the process of listening to it, just it sinks in. It reminds us of why we're here today and why we even sing songs to begin with. As we, um, as we think about it, the reason why we sing songs any Sunday morning, much less even today, but any Sunday morning, is for the very reason that Christ died on the cross. Because there'd be no this if he hadn't died. And I don't mean no Easter. I mean no anything. There wouldn't be anything at all for us to celebrate because we would just be going through the same religious motions they were going through at that time. And it's funny because I was thinking about it this week that I have really four, four favorite holidays. I don't know about you, but I got four favorite holidays. It is Christmas, Easter, Fourth of July, and Labor Day. Now, the first two are obvious because you're probably thinking, well, you're a pastor and you're a Christian, and so you have to like Easter and Christmas. Um, but why Fourth of July and Labor Day? Well, I'll start off with Labor Day. The reason why I like Labor Day is because, um, well, actually, I don't even know why they celebrate it, but it starts the football season. So that is the, uh, that is the reason why I like Labor Day. Um, fourth of July, who doesn't like things that explode? I mean, honestly, uh, we, we, we celebrate with food and explosions, and you really can't beat that. But, you know, I think Fourth of July, like Christmas and Easter, tend to get overlooked for what they really are. They tend to get look, overlooked for what they really are, because as we look at them, we celebrate these days for what? Fourth of July. We have fireworks, barbecue, people go camping, there's picnics, and everything else. But what is Fourth of July really all about? It's about a declaration of independence. It's about the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It's about our freedom that we have. And that is, that is what it's all about. But yet we miss that. Christmas. What's Christmas all about? We do gifts. We pass them out. We eat with family. Sometimes we, we go to church because we have to. Um, those kind of things are on the plate. But what is it really all about? It's about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now that birth probably wouldn't make a whole lot of difference if, if, Easter didn't happen. And what do we celebrate about Easter? Easter was uh, bunnies and pastels and hats and getting dressed up. You know, I don't, this is the first time I've worn a suit coat, and I don't know, well, probably ever. Yes, I know, yes. Um, and it was, a, it was a real strong debate on whether I'd even put it on, but I needed something to hide the cord for the mic that came up and over, so I had to put it on. The, uh, you know, we get dressed up, but, but somewhere along the line, Somewhere along the line, you, you decided to come today because either you wanted to be a part of it, you wanted to check out the concert hall, which is just an amazing facility. I'm so thankful to Cleveland High School for letting us use it this morning. But um, maybe you, you were told years ago, well, you have to go to church on Easter. That's, that's what it's about. You, you have to go to church. And you came reluctantly, and you put on your ties. It was really funny because um, this morning, uh, my son's just like, I don't wear jackets. They don't wear ties on Sunday mornings on a regular basis. And... Peyton, my five-year-old, held up his tie and goes, what's this? 
And, uh, and Christian's like, well, you've got to put it on. He's like, I have to wear this? You know, so it, it, that, that tells you the kind of house that, that we, uh, we're, we have. But, you know, the, the thing with Easter is, is it's so much more than getting dressed up. And it's so much more than having Easter ham when we get home. What it really is all about, what it's really all about is the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it changed everything. It changed everything. The resurrection of Christ was, was a big deal. Without it, like I said, there's none of this. There's no reason for us to be here. There's no reason for us to sing really worship songs. I mean, we could, we could do it like they did in the Old Testament where we, we sang hymns, but the, the idea of saying, thank you, God, for sending your son, Hosanna, praises rising, lifting up, there wouldn't be any reason for that. But because of Easter, because of the resurrection, it changed everything. You realize that everything that you know about the Bible kind of hinges on today? Everything you probably know about the story of Easter, even the things you know about Jesus. Because you know, Jesus was a great teacher. He could have just been considered a prophet. He could have been considered just a great miracle worker. Wow, he can do some great things. And it would have probably stopped there had it not been for the fact that he died and rose again. This event changed everything. What I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to take some time and, and kind of look over a timeline of what happened after he died. I'm not sure if, uh, if you went to a Good Friday service or not, but if you did, they talked about Jesus' death and his burial and all the things that it went through. And um, it's funny, I got a, a phone call this week. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you had a chance to come because of an invite card or a door hanger. But uh, one of the door hangers made it on a door of somebody who wasn't real happy with the, the theme of this morning. And, and he called and let me know that he thought death in his grave was uh, disturbing and morbid. And uh, I, it was just a voicemail, and I, I chose not to call back. But my first thought was, is don't call me, call the Romans, because they're the ones that did it. Uh, the Bible isn't always full of the fluff. You know, the, the Jesus that we see that's petting the lamb with the fluffy hair and the nice manicured beard— for some reason, that's not the Jesus that I think that, uh, that we're supposed to be seeing on the cross. And the cross was a brutal, brutal thing. It was a form of execution. If you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, every time I see that movie, it just gives me chills up my spine to think that's what Jesus did for me. Because he didn't have any sin. He didn't have anything wrong with him. He didn't have anything that, that, that would deserve that. But I did. Everything that was in me is what he did that for. All the sin that has covered my life is what he did that for. And it changed everything. And the whole idea is, is right up to the point where he gets, he gets beaten. And he's going through the town and he's carrying the giant piece of wood on his back. And people are throwing things at him and they're spitting on him and they're jeering him and they're telling him he's worth nothing. And then they nail him to that cross and they put him in the ground until the very time that he breathes out his last breath. He was thinking about us. He was thinking about us that whole time. And, you know, while he's hanging on the cross, it's funny because anytime I ever see a cross picture, they always have a big diaper on him. The Romans didn't care. They were trying to humiliate you. He wasn't hanging there with a diaper. He was hanging there naked and beaten and bruised and bloodied and battered for us. 
But the great thing is it didn't stop there. And I want to pick up, starting in Luke chapter 23, all four Gospels actually have an opportunity to, uh, to share this. But in Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to pick it up today. And if we could get the house lights up just a little bit so people can see their Bibles. Uh, and then it'll also be up here on the screen. So if you don't have your Bibles with you, don't feel, don't feel bad about that. But um, Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 48. It says this, it says, When all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion, you see, this is the same crowd that back a week ago on Palm Sunday were there to praise him, and they had the palm branches, and they were doing all the things with him, and they were excited that he was there. This is the same crowd. You take that crowd, and now they are standing there, and they're watching the crucifixion. And part of the reason why they're standing there watching the crucifixion is because they didn't have direct TV. There wasn't anything to watch, so they said, hey, let's go watch somebody get beat up and bruised and, and killed that sounds like fun entertainment. That's the sick culture that they lived in at the time. It says, And the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened. They went home in a deep sorrow. They went home in a deep sorrow. They were there cheering a week before. They were screaming at him the week after. And then it all came to reality and they had this deep sorrow within them. Pick it up from there in verse 49. It says, But Jesus, Jesus' friends, all the people that had been following him, including the women who had followed from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Now I want you to picture this for, with me for just a second. You have Jesus, who's been leading these people for roughly three years of their lives. Some of them from the very beginning of his ministry, some of them came on along the way. In the process of this, they had seen everything. They had put their hope and faith and trust in him because he seemed like, he seemed like he was the Messiah. They saw him do miracles. They saw him do so many things. They saw him change people's lives, healing the blind, making the lame walk, changing their lives. All of this has taken place. They've seen it all. And now they're standing at a distance. Their hopes are crushed. Their dreams are crushed because they have no idea. That this was the Messiah. He was supposed to be the king on earth. He was supposed to be all this stuff. And now he is dead. They watched him breathe out his last breath and dead. What are they going to do? So they're standing at a distance and they're watching it all happen. It says in verse 50, it says, Now there was a good man and a righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council. So this means he was kind of a big dog in the Jewish religious leadership. If you don't know what happened here, the Jewish religious leadership are the ones that handed Jesus over to Pilate to have him crucified. But that's why it said he was a good and righteous man. He said he had not agreed with the decisions in verse 51. He had not agreed with the decision and action of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He knew that God was going to send a Messiah, and he was pretty sure it was Jesus. The only problem is, is now Jesus is dead. Now Jesus is dead. And he's sitting there, and he's going, I don't know what's going to happen next. So what he does is he goes to Pilate, and he asks for Jesus' body. Like I said, he was a, a, an upper upper uh, big dog there in the, in the Jewish leadership, and that's why he's able to go to Pilate. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. There's something I want you to know here. In a proper burial, this didn't happen. In a proper burial, whether it was a thief or a king, a proper burial, they take the body down. And normally women did it, so it was even more strange that Joseph was doing it and his servants. But they'd take the body down and they'd wash the body and they'd clean the body up. Then they would 
put uh, fragrances and spices and things on it. Then they would wrap it well in a, in a linen cloth that was also soaked in some sort of fragrance. Then they would gently place the body in the tomb. This wasn't what happened here with Jesus. You see how quickly it did? It was because the Passover was coming and the Sabbath was the next day and it was late on a Friday. So when the sun went down, the Sabbath started. So this is what he says. It says that this was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation as the Sabbath was about to begin, verse 54. They were in a hurry to bury Jesus because they couldn't do anything on the Sabbath and they couldn't break those laws. So, as his body was taken away, verse 55 says, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. They knew that this wasn't the proper way to do the burial. So they, they went to the tomb, they were watching, they were seeing everything that was going to take place because they knew that after the Sabbath, they were going to try and get a proper burial for Jesus. They knew they couldn't do it now because he can't do anything on the Sabbath. So that's where it goes from there. Sundown was coming. Joseph and his servants put the, the body in the tomb and the stone rolled in. Now I'm not sure if you have seen pictures of the way that, that a, a cave was that way, but it was, it was carved out and then this giant wagon wheel looking hula hoop styled, not, you know, about yay thick. It would roll down into a trough and it would lock itself into place. And then they would seal that to make sure that nobody could break into it. It wasn't that anybody would get out. It was so that nobody would go in. And they sealed that. And if you read any other accounts uh, outside of Luke, it says they placed guards there because the Jewish religious leadership thought the disciples were going to try and steal the body. And so they placed the guards there. So this is an important fact in all this because the women were standing there, these women that had followed. They saw all this stuff was happening. And then in verse 56, it says this. They went home. They went home. Why do you think the women went home? Because there wasn't anything else left to do. They weren't standing there waiting for a resurrection to happen. A lot of times, people think that the Bible is a bunch of made-up stories. They think it's got twisted around, that, that people have done things to, to try and trick people into Christianity. If you were going to write a story to try and convince somebody of something that wasn't true, the details that are in this would be left out. And we'll, we'll get to that here in just a second. But it says they went home because they thought that he was dead. They went home and they prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. Why were they going to anoint his body? Because they thought he was dead. And guess what? They also thought he was going to stay dead. By the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by law. So they sit down, they rest, they do the thing they're supposed to. Sabbath started on sundown on Friday night and it was over on sunup on Sunday morning. Reason why people have Easter sunrise services. As soon as the sun came up, as soon as the first crack of dawn, they went down to the tomb. They went down to the tomb and it says here in verse 1 of chapter 24. It says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Why did they take spices they had prepared? Because they thought he was dead. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, I brought a hula hoop, and I'm not sure if I'm going to, I think I'm just going to let it pass. But a lot of people think that, oh, okay, the, the stone was just kind of rolled up that way. No, it had basically, you know when you let a hula hoop go, and it just kind of goes and flops all over the place? And that's what the, this huge stone door had done. It wasn't like it was just moved. It had been rolled away. It had been blown off, basically. And they walk in, it says here, it says they walk in, but they didn't find the body of Jesus. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we read so fast through things, we, we miss little stuff. And when I read that a couple of times, I said, okay, they didn't find the body of Jesus. 
Why is that a big deal? Because he was supposed to be dead. And they thought he was still going to be dead. This resurrection thing that we have some people say, well, they made it up. No, they thought he was going to be dead. As a matter of fact, in verse 4, it says, as they stood there puzzled, they couldn't figure it out. Um, you know, I was just here Friday afternoon. I saw it all happen. What, what's going on? They stood there puzzled, and then two men stu- suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. And I was, the funny thing is, anytime I see that in my mind, I think of Easter cantatas when I was a little kid, and there would be a guy in a bathrobe with, that had been bedazzled. Um, and that's a terrible thing to think about, but unfortunately, that's what the church has done to me. Um, it says, there's two guys standing there in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking for the dead, uh, among the dead, for someone who is alive? Answer that question, because we thought he was dead. Of course we're going to look for a guy who's dead, because we thought he was dead. And the angel says, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. And I always like that little word in there where it threw in sinful men because it was the religious leaders who were the ones that put him there. And yet they said sinful, and they're sinful men, and to be crucified. And they would rise again on the third day. You see, Jesus had predicted it to his followers. But, you know, when somebody tells you that bad news is coming, we kind of don't really dwell on it. We don't let it soak in. And, And they probably thought, well, you know it's going to be all right. He's just kind of talking because he's the Savior. He's the Messiah. Nobody's going to take his life. You can't sneak up on him. He knows what I'm thinking all the time. Nobody's just going to kill him. That's not even possible. I mean, look throughout the scripture. He healed people. He knew what was going on. He was, he was ahead of the game when the Pharisees would be over whispering over there in the far corner. He'd be like, hey guys, I know what you're talking about. There's no way he's going to get killed. And then it happens. And guess what? The light bulb goes on. Verse 8. Then they remember that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. So here they come. They come running down. They're screaming. They're shouting. Hey, 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 hey. Bang on the door. Guys, listen. He's alive. He's risen. He's resurrected from the dead. And of course, all these great men of faith, the Matthew, the Peter, the James, the John, all these great men of faith, they jump up and say, yeah! Oh wait, no wait, they don't. Verse 11. Verse 11. But the story sounded like nonsense to these men, and they didn't believe it. Would you honestly write that in your story if you were trying to convince people you say, oh no, I, I was great. If I'm going to make up a lie, I'm going to make a lie about myself. I'm going to make myself sound a whole lot better than I was. But no, Luke, who's writing the story, says, they thought it was nonsense. Why? Because back in chapter 23, he said they were standing from a distance watching. They were there from the very beginning. They were there at the Last Supper, which they didn't know was going to be the Last Supper, but it was the Last Supper. They all sat around. They went over to the Garden of Gethsemane. They prayed with him. They fell asleep. They saw him get turned over. They saw all these people come, this mob come and take him. They saw him get beaten. They denied him. 
They said, oh, no, we don't know him. They watched this whole thing happen. They watched him get beaten and bruised, and they watched him go up on that cross, and they watched him breathe his last breath. Why wouldn't it sound like nonsense? Death is real. It happens. And we see it, and it's right here, and it says, you know what? I don't know. I don't know why in the world you guys are telling this. It's nonsense. But thankfully, Peter, in verse 12, says, however... Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, doing cartwheels and celebrating. No. He still didn't know what was going on. It was a common response. The women, they stood there puzzled, going, what in the world is going on? He's standing there going, I don't know. Uh, it should be there, but it's, it's not. Now what? What are we supposed to do? So he starts heading back. And I think as he's heading back, his mind starts to churn. And things start happening in his brain. And he starts going, wait a second. He did, he did tell us this. This is something he let us know about. And in the process of letting us know about this, he starts clicking going, whoa, he said he was the son of God. He said he was coming here to die for my sins. He said that... He would be the payment, the ultimate sacrificial lamb for us. All these things started clicking. He goes, wait, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He said in John 10.10 10, that, no that, uh, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but he's going to come and give us full life. Now it's all starting to make sense. Everything's clicking. Everything's bing, bing. Light bulbs are going on. And he starts walking back. And his life is beginning to change. And he's still trying to absorb it all in. It wasn't like, boom, it happened. And he said, oh, yes, the resurrection happened. Glorious day. He didn't start singing a song. He wasn't praising a bunch of stuff. He was trying to figure it all out. Maybe that's you in here today. Maybe this is the umpteenth time you've heard the Easter story. But you've never heard it be real. And be you. And say, you know what? Yeah, I'm trying to figure this all out. This, this isn't quite making sense. And a few weeks later, and during that time, Jesus actually appears to Peter. But a few weeks later, he's in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's where all this had just taken place. And we pick it up in the book of Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, he's talking to everybody. There's a crowd that is gathering, the same crowd, granted, the same crowd that was there just weeks before, that had seen Jesus come in on the donkey, and then he had, they had seen him die, and they're the ones that walked away with sorrow in their hearts. And he goes up to them, and all these people are gathered around Peter because everything in his brain had changed. The truth had come in, and it changed everything for him. And he stands up in front of this crowd, and i got to let you know that right here, and standing in front of this crowd, what he's about to say could easily get him crucified himself. Easily. Because it's blasphemy. You know, they don't give a little slap on the wrist. They don't just, you know, give a little punishment like we do today. Blasphemy, boom, you're dead. So this is a life-changing moment for him, so much so that he's willing to risk his life. Look what it says here in verse 22. It says, people of Israel, Listen! I just added that because there's an exclamation point. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him 
as you well know. You guys have all seen it. You guys know what's going on. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of you lawless Gentiles, you, you nailed him to the cross, and you killed him. You just say, hey guys, just want to let you know that, you know that Messiah that's been, you've been reading about in the Old Testament for so long? Yeah, you guys killed him, just to let you know. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. And Peter says, you know, I'm absolutely convinced I've been with him since the very beginning of his ministry. He came to me, he asked me to follow him, and I did. And I was there every step of the way. I was there when the 5,000 were there. I was there when we fed all those people. I was there when he said, hey guys, uh, eventually you're going to be eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And a bunch of people got disgusted and left. And he goes, and I was one of the ones that stayed. I was there through every little bit of it. I was there and I denied him. Little girl said, hey, you know him. And he said, no, I don't. I don't know him. I was there for every little bit of all of this. But guess what? Everything I have seen has just now come to light. And I want to let you guys all know about it. Whether you think it's blasphemy or if you think I'm telling the truth, I don't care. I want you to hear what God has to say. And this is it in verse 32. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses to this. Don't believe me? We're in Jerusalem. Tune's right over there. Take a walk. Check it out. See what it really says. We're all witnesses of this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. I can only imagine what's going through their minds. Their minds have to be flooded right now with, do we kill him for claiming that we killed the Messiah, or do we believe him? Look how they answer. Verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him to all, and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? You were right. We were wrong about Jesus. And we're guilty for handing him over to the Romans. What should we do? And I think that it's a lot like us. We have this roller coaster of who we think Jesus is. Because these, these are the same people that followed him at one point in time and were getting all the entertainment value out of Jesus because, once again, there wasn't TV. So they got all the cool miracles and all that stuff, but when it got a little hard, they backed off. And maybe that's one of us in here. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you saying, at one point in time, yeah, I've followed Jesus. I've, I've known about him since I was a little kid. I've been hearing the same Easter message forever. And, yeah, the whole idea of getting to heaven for free, that's a great idea because I don't really like the other option. So yeah, I'm going to take it. And, and you're following in that way, and he says, that sounds good. And they were that way too. And then they would, when things would get a little difficult, and somebody would say, hey, aren't you a Christian? Eh, you know, I'm not a Christ follower. That guy's kind of weird. And we kind of back off of it. And then we go back and forth, and there's this roller coaster, and this up and down and up and down. Finally, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him, what should we do? And Peter replied to this, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sins. Sins, you know what those are? Sometimes we think, well, it's if I break the Ten Commandments or not. Yep. But it's so much bigger than that. It's any real thought or action that we have that goes against what God wants us to do. What God has called us to do. And you know, 
Peter himself knew it. Because when he denied Christ and he lied about knowing him, it was more than just a lie. It was the fact that he was turning his back on Christ. And so he was speaking from experience here when he said, you know what, you have to do what I do. You have to repent. You have to understand that you were wrong and you have to give your life over to Christ and ask for forgiveness for it. And we all have to do that, each and every one of us, because he put each of you, not your grandma, can do it for you. Not somebody else can do it for you. It's not a family thing. It's not a national thing. It's not because I was born an American. I'm saved by Jesus. I'm a Christian because I was born in, in Oklahoma because that's where the Bible Belt is. That's not the way it happens. But yet people will believe that. People think, well, as long as I do this, as long as I go to church every once in a while, I'm this way. No, we have to repent and admit that we are wrong and change our mind on who Jesus is. Because sometimes we just think that Jesus is a wonderful get-out-of-hell-free card. Keep it in my back pocket anytime I need it. If I get in a car accident or, you know, if I die of old age, at least I know where I'm going because I got my get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not what Jesus came and died for. He came to give us a life to the fullest. That's what that John 10.10 tells us. It says here, it says here that sin actually keeps us from God. Romans 6.23, if you've been with us through, uh, through the last eight weeks, we've gone through the book of Romans at Paragon Church, and Romans 6.23 actually tells us very clearly, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That means that we earn death because of the sins that we have in our life. Whether you have one or you have one million, that causes us to get to die, separated from God. But, the verse says, the gift of God, a gift, something that you cannot earn, something you cannot even deserve, a gift, just like you'd get at Christmas, the gift of God is salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an amazing thing to think about because when we repent and admit that we are wrong and we give our lives over to God, it's an amazing thing. And we receive this gift, but something else that Peter mentions, he mentions this word, be baptized. Now some people take this in different ways, but this way I take it. It's about going public with being a follower of Christ. It's about not living in the shadows. It's not about living back in the back. It's about standing in front of people and say, yes, I profess to be a follower. And you know, if you've never done it with water baptism, love, love, love to have the opportunity to be a part of that with you. But, as we look at this, it says be baptized and go public. Not only repent, but go public and say that Jesus really is the Son of God and He saved my sinful ways and He can do it for you too. My question for you is this, is do you believe that He is your Savior? When we repent and turn to God and go public, we receive this gift. And He becomes our Savior. That is our gift that we get. That is the gift that we have. And there's no greater gift than that. You know, my son and I were talking this morning, my 10-year-old, we were talking a little bit about, about um, getting dressed up for Easter and why people do it. And, and he was like, I don't really want to wear those shoes. And I said, I understand that, but be glad that you have multiple shoes to choose from because sometimes we take things for granted. We take things, and he's like, yeah, I guess that's true. And I said, be glad that you get to stand up and put shoes on and walk out the door because there's lots of kids your age that are in hospitals all around the world that don't have that opportunity. And we, we just got into that. Things we take for granted. Well, I think the big thing as Christians that we take for granted or big thing we take for granted as we come to an Easter service is that Jesus died for our sins, and that is amazing. Thank you. 
I was hoping to get more of those. Let's try it again. That is amazing. That's right. It is. He came and he died for us because we could not do it on our own. As much as I would like to say, yeah, God has a giant scale in heaven and here's your good deeds and here's your bad deeds and as long as one outweighs the other, you're good to go. That's not it. It shows it that way in cartoons. Tom and Jerry, you know, then the floor opens up and they go down. That's, that's not it. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And that's an amazing thing to think about. As he's standing there, he's talking to this group that killed Jesus. And he's talking to him, and he says, I looked into this empty tomb, and it all came to light for me. After the ladies had told me, I kind of thought it was nonsense, so I had to run down and I had to see it for myself. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking about it. What do you want to do? I've seen it. You've seen it, he says. Now it's time to make a choice. Well, guess what? We're in the same boat. It's time for us to make a choice as well. We can either continue to live our lives the way we live them. We can be our own. Or we can allow God to be in control and follow him. I don't know about you, but when that verse in John 10.10 says, he's going to come and give me a full life, the first thing that pops in my mind is what a mess I really have made of my life. And that without Christ, I would be a disaster. Without him in my life and interjecting and interceding and directing me to where I need to go, I would be a mess. I've seen members of my family in the mess that they've made of their lives as well, and I'm glad because Jesus is in my life that I don't have to follow in those footsteps. I'm not sure if you're a music listener. I can only listen to music. I cannot play it. So I just enjoy the fact that other people can do it and they write great songs. And sometimes I think, you know what, that song was written for me and really by me. And if God would have given me the gift, I could have shared it with them. But Switchfoot wrote a song called The Mess of Me. And I was listening to it yesterday and it says, I made a mess of me. I want to get back the rest of me. I want to reverse this tragedy. I want to spend the rest of my life alive. And I think to myself, that's exactly it. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. We've got this mess and he's there to clean it up, but we have to repent of our sins. We have a choice. I told you in the very beginning that Easter was a life-changing moment. It's a life-changing moment and we have the opportunity to make the choice. We can either allow it to change our lives or we can continue to live the way we're living. I can't make that choice for you. Only you can make that choice for you. Like I said, it's not a grandma choice. You can't say my grandma was a Christian, and so I'm all good. It all kind of flows down. Nope. I believe the, the term is, is that God doesn't have any uh, grandchildren. Only children. So we have to be followers of him, and you have to make that choice right now. Moments like this are rare. God has brought you here today, right here, right now. He heard you hear this, or he had you hear this message. Don't know why. Don't know if it's because a friend invited you. Don't know if it's because you got a door hanger. Don't know if it's just because you saw our billboard. I don't know. But God brought you here today. You responded to him directing you there, and now you get to respond to him whether or not you want to choose the way your life goes. This message is for those who have lost their hope, that have lost their heart, have lost their dreams. You've got to think, though, all those disciples that were standing there watching Jesus die, everything died with him that day. But thankfully, a couple days later, when he raised from the dead, everything came back to life. So many of us disqualify ourselves for not being good enough for God. God has never asked you to be good enough. He's asked you to be his. Those who don't have it all together, 
I stand before you right here, right now, letting you know that these clothes just make me look good on the outside. On the inside, I don't have it all together. And the reason why they look good on the outside is because my wife picked out the clothes for me. Okay, that's it. I've been a disaster otherwise. It's for the broken, the hurt, and the lost, the found, even for the good people. Jesus came and died. Now you get to make the decision. It brings us to a point of repentance. Peter said that each of you must repent. Each of you must make a decision on who you think Christ is. So this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity. Figure why pass it up. If you'd like to repent and give your life to Christ, now's the time to do it. There's no reason to beat around the bush. If you choose not to, then you choose not to. If you choose to do it, praise God. Thank God that he did it and gave us the opportunity to make that choice. We have some, some people that, uh, that would love to pray with you, and I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to pray right now. And as I pray, I'm just going to ask you that if you would like, if you would like to choose to give your life to Christ, to admit that, yeah, I've been living a mess of a life, and I would like Christ to come into it and clean it up, we have some people that would love to come down and they'd pray with you right down here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And as I pray, um, I'm going to ask the, the encouragers to, to come down forward. And if you would uh, like us to pray with you, even if it's not about this, even if you're thinking, well, you know, that whole baptism and going public thing, I'd like to do that. I don't know where you're at. But I'd like for you guys to come forward as soon as, uh, as, soon as I'm done praying. And I'm not going to stand up here. I'm not going to be one of those preachers on TV. We're going to keep the last verse going until somebody finally comes forward. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to guilt you into it. It's a decision that you have to make. And it's yours to make today. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came and put on flesh and blood and lived a life just like we live right here on this earth. But Lord, the only life that was made different, the only thing that made it different in his life was the fact that he was sinless and that he was going to be our sacrificial lamb. God, we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for the blessings you've given us in our lives. The ability to be here in this amazing facility. The ability to be able to come before you. We don't have to worry about our lives when we go to church like other countries around the world. God, you've given us so much. But the most important thing you've given us is your son, Jesus Christ. Today is a day that we can decide to follow him or we can decide not to. I pray for each person in this room today, Lord. I pray for each person that is struggling with the decision. There's questions on their mind. There's things they're trying to figure out. They're still trying to wonder what happened. And we knew it took Peter time and he followed you for years. We knew it took Mary and Martha time and they'd followed you for years. So, Lord, as we're trying to process this, I pray that you just make it very clear and evident to us, to each person in this room, on what you want them to do. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Like I said, we have encouragers down here. I would encourage you to come down. And if you, uh, if you want to come down, and we can even send you up on the stairs and around. If you don't want to stand down here and talk, that's fine as well. Um, we're going to sing a song that, uh, that has a little twist to it. Um, if, you've, if you've heard it, uh, if you've ever watched American Idol, uh, thousands of people sing this song all the time. It's called Amazing Grace. And that's what it's all about. It's about the chains being gone, the broken, broken chains that, that used to shackle us with sin. And so I would encourage you to sing along with that as you come down. We'd love to be able to pray with you today. Thank you again uh, for being here and, and taking time.
to, to hear what God had to say to you. And as the band sings, I want to encourage you to come. So if you would, stand and sing with us. And, um, and if you want to come, please do.